0: The United States and Russia had some interesting conversations yesterday. Where are those going and will those be enough to avert conflict? What are the consequences for those talks failing? If there is conflict between Russia and Ukraine, what response should the United States have? Why is so much of the media on this subject seemingly so one-sided? Well... Uh, Those are some of the questions we're going to be asking to our next guest. And there are some of the questions that I want you to be thinking about. Because one of the frustrating things to me in reading the news about Russia is they treat this as if we're living in the world of James Bond, where you have uh, this cartoon-like comic book villain on one side, Vladimir Putin, and then you have these guys in Uh, white hats uh, on the side of America, and they act as if everything is as clearly defined as a 1950s B-movie when the truth, in my opinion, is somewhat more nuanced. I'm always on the lookout for people who uh, can explain and explore that nuanced view, and one of them is Michael Averco, an independent foreign policy analyst and media critic based here in New York City. Michael, thanks for getting up early with us.
1: Okay, thank you. Actually, I'm here in Nassau
0: County, but I was born in Flower Hospital in Manhattan, so I'm a lifelong New Yorker. I stand corrected. Now, Michael, just so folks know your background, Sure. Uh, I always try to give people an opportunity to guard themselves against anybody's perceived biases. Uh, when we've had people like uh, Brian McDonald on, I always point out that he works for RT, which gets some funding for the Russian government. When we had uh, people like Gerald Posner on, I always talk about how he was once a propagandist for the Soviet Union. What's your story, Michael? Are you on the payroll of Russia or anything? <laughs> No, not at
1: all. I was getting uh, fee-paid work for my commentary from a Russian-based venue that the uh, U.S. government then put the kibosh in terms of American contributors writing for that site they could not get paid by it. If they do, they're subject to a $300,000 fine. And make no mistake about it, this is a subtle form of censorship, because what they're saying is that if you want to make a career and be able to spend ample time analyzing the situation, don't expect to get paid, like, say, 80000 a year from MSNBC, right. i.e., uh, Evelyn Farkas doing puff segments, saying negative, inaccurate, and, frankly speaking, flat out lies. Um, your opening introduction to me hits home on a key point here, that um this fellow by the name of um Joseph Weisberg, he's a former CIA analyst who wrote the TV series The Americans. Anyway He's promoting a book now of his, and he says that a lot of elites in this country that deal with Russia, they've been raised on a Cold War notion that they never really divorce themselves on. And what we see is a lot of projection. I can give you some quick examples that relate to the current news issues. Uh, recently, just before these talks, the Secretary of State, Blinken, made some flippant comments, one of them being that, well, when the Russians check in, they don't check out. This is pretty rich for him to say because, I mean, you look at the map of the world, U.S. troops outnumber Russian troops all over the world by a great margin. And in the case of Iraq, the Iraqi parliament on more than one occasion asked the U.S. troops to withdraw. Syria's internationally recognized government, problematical yes, but it's still internationally recognized. They don't, uh, they did not invite U.S. troops into uh, Syria. And likewise, in Okinawa, there's a movement to uh, have uh, U.S. troops withdrawn. So for Blinken to say that about Russia when they check in, they don't check out is pretty rich. I'll give you another example too. We're hearing in the media quite often that. Putin has created this problem in Ukraine to divert attention away from his own problems. Actually, if anything, Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, and Biden, the U.S. president, they're the ones seeking diversion because they know that Russia bashing cells among their constituency, a certain portion anyway. And it just so happens that both Zelensky and Biden have very low poll numbers. That's not the case Mm. for Putin in Russia. His poll numbers not only are strong, but... The next leading figures that are, you know, according to the polling there, and some of it's been pretty accurate, they pale in comparison to Putin so he's not the one who's insecure, who's looking for a diversion make no mistake about it this situation with Ukraine has been overly hyped for example, we're told that the Russian troop presence 100,000 on the border with Ukraine well here's the news, since 2014 the Russian troop deployments have been quoted in the area of 90,000 now this past spring when uh, Russian troops in that area expanded by at least 20 or 30,000, the media played up on that, but what they downplayed was that Russia over the last few years have been doing periodic training exercises where periodically you'll get that sort of bump. And what they didn't mention was that troop increase this past spring came before, not after the Kiev regime had amassed tens of thousands of troops at the demarcation line of uh, the Donbass rebels. Mm. This is the only way I could see the Russians intervening in Ukraine. There are three choices. This is the one that's most likely, and I'm kind of doubtful it's going to happen because the Kiev regime realized. Their shortcomings. And also, I think the Kiev regime will realize that there are enough sensible folks in the West who won't even come to their support if the following scenario were to occur. If the Kiev regime were to launch a strike into the Donbass rebel area, you're talking about collateral damage, which means people with close ties to Russia, some of them having citizenship to Russia, getting killed, many of them also fleeing into Russia. Russia will have no choice but to launch a counter-strike, but that counter-strike will be limited in terms of just securing that Donbass Best Rebel-held area. And this is exactly what happened in 2008. If you recall, when uh, there was the war in the former Georgian Soviet Socialist mm. Republic, the EU did an investigation on that conflict, and they concluded that it was initiated when Saakashvili, the president of Georgia, launched a strike into South Ossetia, which killed Russian peacekeepers, killed Russian citizens, and so Russia responded. And yes, they temporarily went into Georgian Georgia proper, where they took out Georgian military assets, but. They then they withdrew back. So um, these uh, terms, for example, I see a certain amount of bigotry as well. In the 1990s, you might recall Serb aggression. Now we often hear the term Russian aggression. But when other countries act militarily in their self-interest, it's not described as aggression. Imagine if, you know, the New York Times said Israeli aggression or American aggression. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking those two countries. I'm just highlighting the hypocrisy. There is a different standard
0: when it comes to Russia. We're going to come back to that if there are time. Uh, Very quickly, Michael, just for my own edification, Mm -hmm. what was that website that you were were writing and getting paid for that the United States government said you can't get paid, otherwise you get a $300,000 fine? What website was that?
1: It's strategic-culture.org. And if you go to that website, there's a lead article from an American who's living in Russia who's writing about this very issue. It's Uh on the homepage of that. Odd of that site.
0: I I will check that out. Give it to me one more time. Okay, strategic culture.org. Got it. And the Russian based
1: American is is, uh, Tim Kirby. Good guy.
0: Great. Okay, now, um, in your view, is the most recent. Escalation in tensions between Russia and Ukraine and by extension Russia and the United States. Is that due to the decision by President Zelensky to amass troops in eastern Ukraine or is what we're seeing now the result in the reflection of something else?
1: Okay, well, a combination of factors. One, as I mentioned, um, Frank, the Russian troop presence there, the numbers, you know, it's not like they just suddenly occurred there. They've been there in roughly that amount for some time. But, yes, I definitely believe that one of the reasons why they're there – and, by the way, Ukrainian troops on the Russian, uh, along the Russian border are comparable in number – but I think the Russians have clearly sent a message to the Kiev regime – don't you dare think about launching a strike because Russian officials have said in so many words that they will likely launch a strike. Now, one of the reasons why I think the Kiev regime decided to do this is because in the past year, you might recall that Azerbaijan retook like 70% of mostly Armenian Nagorno-Karabakh territory. Mm -hmm. And when that happened, a lot of the uh, former Soviet geeks like myself were hypothesizing, well, Maybe the Kiev regime and maybe Moldova might want to try something like that. And so, you know, also, too, let me say this, that going back to 2014, you had Ukrainian analysts talking about a Croatian scenario. And what they're referring to in 1995— the Croat government launched an ethnic cleansing campaign in Kraina. And the reason why they did this is because they had under the table assurances from NATO that NATO would not act. Because remember, back then, the Serbs were the bad guy. But also, they also got word under the table, so to speak, that Milosevic at that point at the time decided – I want to have better, he wanted to have better relations with the West, and he sort of got tired of supporting the Serbs in Bosnia and Kriina. So you had that ethnic cleansing campaign, and so some people in the Kiev regime have been talking about that as an option, and this is something that Russia can't tolerate because, again, you're talking about pro-Russian people. The public mood and public opinion would not tolerate it.
0: All right. um, This was I was talking to Vladimir Posner a couple of weeks ago about whether or not we would see an invasion of Ukraine. This was my question and his response. We've been told that uh, Vladimir Putin is practically itching to invade Ukraine and is uh, taking steps along those lines. Is that true from what you see of the situation? Does Vladimir Putin want to invade Ukraine?
1: Oh, gosh. Vladimir Putin wants Russia to feel safe. And he and I believe the most of the people in the government fear that Ukraine might become a member of NATO. And Russia sees that
2: as a threat. And that's why Putin said, should NATO, should, uh, should
1: Ukraine become a member of NATO, that's a red line that we will not allow anyone to cross. Russia sees NATO, uh, Ukraine... Becoming a member of NATO as an existential threat to Russia. Rightly or wrongly is something we can
2: discuss, but that's the way it's seen.
0: Michael Verko, agree, disagree with what Vladimir Posner said there? Uh, No disagreement, hard disagreement. I
1: don't think it's likely that Ukraine is going to be in NATO in either the next five or 10 years. So, I mean, that's really a more distant concern. What Russia is also concerned about is we have a lot of trainers in Ukraine right now. And um, there's, you know, the uh, threat of that becoming even more so. And um, Ukraine is not this democracy. Ukraine is a corrupt kleptocracy where people with my kind of views, not Russians, but Ukrainians, get censored There's a violent nationalist wave that threatens and even kills people. Um, The two leading political uh, opponents to the president, Zelensky, one of them, Medvedchek, who favors good relations with Russia, is under house uh, arrest. The other one, who is the previous president, Poroshenko, is out of the country, and he's been told that if he returns, he's going to be subject to arrest. So this is not a democracy. Sure. They also shun the idea of autonomy and federalism. There was a Minsk protocol that was signed with the Donbass rebels and the Kiev regime, and it calls for those two sides to get together and negotiate a sort of autonomous situation. But here's the thing, Frank, in the audience. The Kiev regime has also said in effect. Yeah, we signed it, but we don't like the idea of autonomy or federation, and Ukraine is not going to be that. Now, how many Western countries, when you think about it, out there, have this form of uh, federalism and autonomy? So this idea that Ukraine is somehow more democratic than Russia and is a part of Western civilization, it's flat-out wrong, and I sense a sort of bigoted connotation as well. And this is another problem, too, with Kiev regime controls Ukraine. There are a lot of people within that domain who think along my lines. It's not so um, one-sidedly anti-Russian.
0: Very quickly, before we run out of time, I want to play for you a piece of audio of uh, former um, National Security Advisor Michael uh, – John Bolton. I wish it was Michael Bolton. (laughs) John Bolton on the Cats at Night show last night right here on this radio station. This is what Ambassador Bolton said. Sure. Well,
2: it's a formula that's, that's worked for Putin before. It's worked for other dictators, too. And the, the danger here is that Putin, who met with Biden this summer in Europe for three and a half hours in person, not virtually, in person, uh, has sized him up uh, and sees weakness. And he also sees weakness in uh, the capitals of many of our European friends, I think, worried about Germany in particular. Uh, Putin may think this is the moment for him to make a move. And by the way, he did over the weekend uh, make a move in Kazakhstan, which is uh, uh, a country in Central Asia, formerly part of the Soviet Union, four times the size of Ukraine in terms of territory, a huge country, uh, purportedly invited in by the government. Uh, Now at least 2,500 Russian troops there, maybe more coming. So while we've been focused on Ukraine, Uh, Putin has gone about what I think his long-term objective is, which is uh, perhaps trying to put the Soviet Union back together again.
0: And there you have it, once again, Bolton repeating this uh, notion that's been out there that Putin's desire is to reform the Soviet Union. Uh, give me your reaction to Bolton's comments about uh, Putin's review of uh, where Biden is, two, uh, his your reaction to what he said about Kazakhstan and the Russian presence in Kazakhstan, and three, m- probably most important this idea that Putin wants to reform the Soviet Union. Give me your reaction to everything Bolton said. OK, there. well, on the last one
1: first, there's a 2000 New York Times article where Putin said something like, those who applaud the demise of the Soviet Union have no heart, but those who want to return it have no brains. OK, and no, Putin does not want to reestablish the Soviet Union. Post-Soviet Russia recognizes the independence of the former Soviet republics at his press conference this year, end of year. He pointedly said that Crimea could have still been a part of Ukraine, but it was the anti-Russian coup in Kiev that prompted the pro-Russian majority there to willingly reunite with Russia, where they're much better off, by the way. Now, in terms of Kazakhstan, the president of Kazakhstan is a part of an agreement, the Collective Security Treaty Organization. He asked for these troops to come in, and he just announced recently now in the past couple hours that they're probably going to be leaving within the next few weeks. And something tells me by the end of the month, they're probably going to be out of this. So, you know, Bolton can eat crow. And in terms of seeing Biden as a sort of weak patsy, I think that's kind of ridiculous. I think that uh, Biden is every bit a bully, if not more so than Putin. The reason why I use that term bully is because I saw Michael O'Hanlon on another uh, show. He's a liberal, neoliberal wonk with the Brookings Institute. He called Putin a bully, a Russian bully. I'm sorry, but I consider that to be unacceptable and also somewhat bigoted, because let me say this, and I hope I have enough time, and I don't want people to get this wrong. To call Putin a Russian bully is on the level of calling Biden an Irish-American bully, calling Zelensky a uh, Ukrainian-Jewish twerp, are calling the former president of Estonia Ilvis a bigoted Estonian scumbag. That sort of language would be considered unacceptable right. and right. somebody like O'Hanlon should know better Agreed. because if Putin were to somehow leave the scene, do you really think the likely next Russian Right, it's not going is... to
0: be a Jeffersonian democracy no. No. like Ohio with but but better better voting machines. Last question Michael. Um, uh, this is also from that same show, the Cats at Night show, which uh, hosted by our owner, John Katsimatidis. And he brought up the best point in the whole discussion with Bolton. And it's something that I hear brought off, brought up far too rarely in the media. This is John Katsimatidis on some of the dangers of the Biden saber rattling. Yeah, but I, I don't want to get into a war by accident because uh, Joe Biden gets up one morning and says – You know, screw those guys, you
2: know. Well, look, that's the kind of risk uh, that I think we're going to be at for the next uh, three years here, because we just it's hard to it's hard to think that Biden's really focusing on a lot of this. And and even if he is, uh, the risk of miscalculation here carries grave risks with it. And if Putin misjudges Biden, thinks he can get away with something and then suddenly Biden draws the line, we've created a danger, a risk that we didn't have to create.
0: Uh, Michael, final question, and we're going to have to limit it to only about a minute. How big is the danger for the United States of this conflict with Russia and Ukraine getting out of control and enveloping the U.S. military somehow?
1: Um, I think that there really are limits because, frankly, Russia has no plans whatsoever to take over all of Ukraine because Russia realized that there's a portion in the West which is going to be tough to manage. They don't need that headache. There's a second view that Russia might want to take some additional territory to the West of Donbass, but I don't see that in the cards as well. The threat of sanctions is overrated, but still it's something that Russia would prefer not to deal with. And by the way, if we go through the sort of sanctions that they say, don't be fooled. This country is going to suffer a lot because you're going to see a further spike in the global
0: fossil fuel pricing. Mm. Uh, Michael, it is really great talking with you. I hope we can do this again in a week or two. Please. My pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Thank Thank you. Michael Averco, uh, you can uh, read him online in various places, and hopefully he'll be back on this show again.